Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation, and compliance. Each month, we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe. My name is Hayley Locke and I'm a partner in the workforce advisory team here at KPMG. The focus of our podcast today is employment taxes and we are absolutely delighted to be joined by Emma Rosenweig, who's the Deputy Commissioner for Superannuation and Employer Obligations at the ATO. I'm also joined by my colleague Stacey Bigger. As Hayley mentioned, my name is Stacey Bigger. I'm a director in the employment tax team here at KPMG, and we have three topics of conversation today. First, to understand some of the ATO's focus areas for review and compliance activity. Second, to do a quick review of recent technical updates. And lastly, we're keen to hear from Emma about her career, and particularly for any students out there, we're going to be asking Emma why she chose a career in tax. Thanks, Stace. So to start things off, our audience, Emma, is always keen to know about the ATO's compliance activities. So from a superannuation and employer obligation perspective, what are the current focus areas? Well, firstly, thanks, Hayley and Stacey for having me and giving me the chance to talk to your clients and to anyone else that's listening today. So from our perspective, our big focus areas are in relation to pay-as-you-go withholding, super guarantee compliance and FBT and I think we'll touch a little bit on each of them as we go but one of the things I really wanted to call out that we see often creates problems for employers when we might be looking at one of those areas is really making sure that an employer has good assurance and governance processes over the data that they report to us and some of the connections between perhaps their payroll function, their payroll data and their payment of the obligations that comes off those. So, for example, you report payroll data to us through single-touch payroll, but then your pay-as-you-go withholding payment might be a quarterly payment or a monthly payment, and your super guarantee might be something that's paid quarterly. So, thinking about the linkages between those, the governance, as I said, over that reporting and that the connections between those three things, and making sure that you've also got good processes in place to fix things when there is something that goes wrong because we know that you know reporting isn't always perfect but having good process in place to fix it up and to address it quickly when you do identify a problem because we often find that those simple things you can do to check and and provide assurance over that data can actually avoid a lot of errors one of the things you'll start to see from us as well is that we're starting to use that data in much more real time to talk to employers about how they're going. So it's increasingly important that that data is right when it's reported and not treated as something that at the end of the year, it'll all come out in the wash and we can tidy it up then. And so I guess um, there are some real consequences then of getting that data incorrect. And obviously, there's a lot more data going through to the ATO now. Are you able to sort of share with us some of the consequences of, you know, that reporting that's going through and, and, and you know, what, what the ATO might be looking at there? 
I absolutely can. So we are investing quite a bit in being able to match all those different sources of data so that we can work with employers, uh, as I said, in much more real time to get things right. One example is in relation to the pay-as-you-go withholding reporting data. So we have started to pre-fill the data that we get reported through single-touch payroll into activity statements for employers. So they're withholding data, they report to us, we're pre-filling in those pay-as-you-go withholding labels in the activity statement so that you know employers really only do need to tell us once that information there'll obviously be the opportunity to correct that pre-filled amount if it's not correct but you know you'd be really surprised how often we get data reported through single touch payroll that does not match the quarterly amount that comes through the activity statement for pay as you go withholding And so that creates errors, it creates, often generates a question from us to your clients. So it's work for us, it's work for your clients. That really could have been avoided with better reconciliation and assurances. So something as simple as just some basic reconciliations can really um, avoid some of that extra work. But so that's one way by us pre-filling data and, and, you know, bringing those issues to the forefront. Another example is in relation to super guarantee compliance. So we've been doing a lot of investment in our analytics and our data capability so that from early next year, we'll be able to bring data reported through STP together with the contributions data reported through super funds to us. And we'll be able to much more proactively prompt those employers who appear not to have met their minimum quarterly payments. We'll obviously be looking at a different approach for an employer who maybe has never missed a payment before and maybe has had their first error as opposed to those employers who are regularly not meeting their obligations. But what it does mean that, you know, we will we'll be having those conversations and identifying those problems much closer to the end of the quarter instead of at the moment sometimes that is something we find 12 months, maybe even two years down the track. So we think it's a good opportunity to help those employers get back on track more quickly, but also to stay on track because they know that there's that more regular checking going on. Yeah, great. They all sound like some great initiatives. Just moving now to some other topical issues. So one of our recent podcasts was on Payday Super, which is obviously a very big change for employers. So are you able to provide an update on the consultation which recently ended? I sure can. It's a, it's a really important announcement by government payday super um, and what I think it's a really important opportunity for us as well to contemporise the super guarantee framework that exists so that um, it can really reflect um, the much more modern environment that employers and super funds are operating in. You know, if you think back to when super guarantee was introduced, we didn't have choice of fund. Uh, We didn't even have quarterly payments back then. Uh, And so uh, having a framework uh, for all the rules that go around SG that actually operates in a, um, a payday environment with much greater velocity um, is really important, but it's it's a really good opportunity to do that. So there have been.
been um, a number of consultations undertaken since this was announced in the budget by the government. Uh, we ran a couple of, um, quite early, a couple of co-design workshops with a broad range of external stakeholders, including employers, digital service providers, super funds, clearinghouses, gateways, administrators. There are lots of cogs in this system to make it work. On top of that, Treasury has just recently uh, released a consultation paper uh, and comments have just closed on that by the time people are listening to this podcast. And I really hope that um, that some of your clients have made some contributions to that and, um, and had a say in some of the questions that were asked in that. On top of that, the ATO has been working very closely with Treasury to make sure that we think about as we put together the administrative design for this, that we can engage with people as well uh, on that. So we've been running some separate workshops on not just the policy design but that administrative design of how it will actually work in practice. And that really helps us make sure that we're putting together um, and, and proposing to government solutions that will be workable. Some of the topics that we've talked about in uh, some of that consultation have been some of the current blockers and issues that will impact on employers being able to pay super more regularly and trying to think of ways that we can overcome them. Some high-level options for how do we go about increasing the payment and reporting frequency, some changes potentially to the how the SG charge works, as I said, to contemporise it and make sure it does really reflect the behaviours that we see but also the way all those different cogs in this system fit together and as well improvements to data matching and improving quality of data particularly as employers take on new employees we know that's a really key point to make sure we get data right and if we can get that right from the beginning that addresses a lot of the current pain points that we have in the system so we're really absorbing a lot of the feedback we've heard from those workshops It definitely won't be the end of it. We are required to go back to budget next year to the government to make some detailed decisions for budget next year. And from then on, uh, assuming the government continues to go ahead with this, the ATO will do its usual approach of making sure we continue really strong engagement with the industry as this develops and we work towards a 1 July 2026 start date. Yeah, that sounds great. Obviously, there's a lot to consider in terms of the making sure it's practical for employers, um, but it will be good to see where the ATO gets with it. We're very excited. On to another topical area. We've had a number of recent court decisions of late about what is a contractor compared to an employee. Um, so are you able to give an overview of what the ATO's position is on this? Sure. It's actually been a very active area recently in um, in terms of litigation and court decisions. So, uh, you know, for a while it was a bit of a sleeper, but we've had a few cases recently, as you said, Stacey. So we had the um, two high court cases, JAMSEC and personnel contracting. And following those, we did put out a decision impact statement where we talked about our position on how those two cases impacted our interpretation of the tax and super laws. We've also published uh, a draft tax ruling in relation to uh, who is an employee for pay-as-you-go purposes and a companion practical compliance guideline about classifying workers as employees or contractors. And those two pieces really go hand in hand. So the ruling talks about our interpretation of the legislation following those two high court cases. 
And the PCG, the Practical Compliance Guideline, talks about how we will think about the risks and therefore how we apply and allocate our compliance resources to those risks. So we we did get a lot of feedback before we published those drafts and we have had some feedback since, which has been really useful, again, to try to develop a product that is really practical and useful for employers to use to think about the arrangements that they have and how the ATO might look at whether they've got them right or not. And so I would really encourage you to have a look at a look at those products, particularly the PCG. Um, it does articulate the sorts of things we're looking for in terms of how you approach your arrangements to make sure that both you and the people that you're engaging to do work for you understand your obligations, understand the basis on which you're entering those arrangements and um, and go into it really both parties with eyes wide open. They are still in draft. We are hoping to finalise them by the end of this calendar year. We were just waiting on a third case, which was handed down by the full federal court earlier this year, which is JMC. And we wanted to see whether that would have any impact on it. We did seek leave, special leave of the High Court to appeal one aspect of that, but we weren't granted special leave. So once that, that decision was made, we can now move to finalise those two products. So hopefully by, the, by Christmas, we'll have final products on that. And I really hope they are much more useful for people to, to understand their arrangements and how the commissioner will, will look at them. Sounds good. Contractors certainly are a tricky area for employers just trying to manage, obviously, both the ATO as well as the State Revenue Office obligations. Turning now to FBT. So the ATO has been progressively releasing 11 draft legislative instruments and explanatory statements for consultation to allow employers to rely on alternate records to finalise the FBT returns. Are you able to provide a brief overview of what the changes in these instruments are intended to introduce? Sure. Yes. So we have been releasing uh, legislative instruments and just to clarify the changes that they bring into record keeping requirements are going to apply to the 24-25 FBT year. So they start applying from 1 April next year and onwards. And so these came about by some legislative change which gives the Commissioner power to allow employers to rely on alternative records to finalise their FBT returns. And before employers can do that, though, the Commissioner actually does have to make and publish these legislative instruments which prescribe what the alternative records are. And so as a result, employers will then have a choice to either use their existing corporate records in place of things like travel diaries or employee declarations for some benefits. As you mentioned, we've been progressively releasing these for consultation and so we have released the first six of these already and we've got some great feedback on those. So I wanted to thank if anyone's listening who provided feedback. We very much appreciate it. We have the final five of those legislative instruments and their explanatory statements who, that have been released for consultation now. And they are open until the 9th of November. So depending on when you're listening to this, uh, you may still have an opportunity to provide us some feedback if you wish to. And you can find those on our open consultation page on ato.gov.au. 
And as I said, they are out in draft. We've been getting uh, feedback and we do plan to finalise all of these before 1 April next year when the FBT starts. FBT obviously has a lot of record keeping. So it would be great if employers can rely on some of these legislative instruments. I know from our perspective, the ones that we see that can be really burdensome for, for employers are living away from home declarations and otherwise deductible declarations that were covered by those recent releases. Um, so Hayley, just wanted to ask you, what are some practical things our clients could be thinking about in order to take advantage of these instruments when they come into place? Yeah, absolutely, Stay. So I think within our clients, group in terms of people we've spoken to so far, you're you're kind of either in one of two buckets. You're sort of in a bucket where maybe you don't actually have that many declarations to collect. And so this is a a bit of a nice to have in terms of legislative instruments. Even if you're a light user of FBT declarations, we would sort of encourage everybody, I guess, to think particularly at points in time when you've got planned system upgrade processes. So say, for example, you're going through as an organization upgrading your payroll or your HR information system, your HRIS, where you might get some quick wins out of making small changes, you know, pinned to those other larger enterprise-wide changes that sort of allow you to use the legislative instruments to their full capacity to sort of cut down, I guess, on a little bit of your administration that you might otherwise have at FBT time. On the flip side, you might be in the other bucket when you're a heavy user of FBT declarations, particularly living away from home declarations where you've been waiting and waiting for this legislation to come into effect since it was announced a couple of years ago. So if you are in that bucket, then what we would say is that there is an advantage in immediately, as in right now, considering how your current systems capture information and whether there are any small or moderate changes that could be implemented ahead of 1 April 2024 that might greatly reduce your FBT administrative burden. So we are also seeing a strong potential for actual FBT cost savings where your current processes are impacted by, for example, employee terminations, where we all know declarations are really challenging to collect prior to, to departure. So this could potentially, depending on the size of your organisation and the number of declarations you undertake, they could have a real cash outcome for you. So that's why if you're in that bucket, now's the right time to sort of start planning in advance to see what it is that you could start collecting immediately and comparing the legislative instruments to, to what your systems are currently collating. So I think there's this actions that some employers will start to take pretty much immediately. And, and as we've said, hopefully um, with the consultation closing shortly or, or by the time you're listening to this already closed, um, will have moved that process through to to finalisation. So moving away from the legislative instruments, but staying on the topic of FBT, Emma, I've noticed in my LinkedIn media and and feedback and different uh, alerts that I'm receiving that the ATO is a little bit more active in the FBT space of late, particularly in communicating around people's requirements to to register and and identify fringe benefits. What's your current focus area in, in FBT? Well, I'm glad you've noticed, Hayley. That's good to, good to know that it's working and that messages are getting out to people. But we have been trying to increase that communication effort because you know, one of the things we've seen, it's a, a pretty tight labour market out there, which I probably don't need to tell anybody listening to this. But it does mean that we're seeing some employers 
potentially offer fringe benefits for the first time as they think about how to attract uh, different employees or maybe how to retain good employees. And so if this is the first time you're really starting to think about those additional benefits, you might not have thought about FBT before. So we really want to make sure people are aware that if they are offering benefits like car parking or gym memberships or football tickets uh, or personal use of a work vehicle, that they do think about those FBT obligations at the same time. So our current focus is really on increasing that general awareness but also busting some common myths that we often get told about. We often have people ring up and say, I've just seen some advertising on something and it's outrageous, you should do something about it. So you might have seen that one of the things, one of the myths we've been doing a bit of busting on is about utes and particularly dual cab utes because there has been a bit of a sense that, you know, if you provide a dual cab ute to your employees for work and they're able to, you know, they take it home on the weekend, that it doesn't attract FBT. But I'm here to tell you there is no magic in a ute and that the exemption for private use of a work vehicle for FBT is only if that private use is really limited. And so if your employees can take the work car home on the weekend and they can go camping and they can take their mountain bikes up to ride trail biking, that is not limited personal use. And so that starts to attract FBT. So I would, I would suggest if you are in that position where um, you do have employees taking um, work vehicles and able to use them for private purposes, that you do have a look at some of our material on that and what constitutes exempt car benefits and when that private use might start to veer into FBT-able territory, if I can call it that. We have had a lot of messages out there through social media, YouTube. So we we really want to encourage employers to, to be aware of what their obligations are. It would be remiss of me at this time of year to also not remind people to think about as you're coming up to Christmas, which might be terrifying to think about, you know, you'll be planning some work celebrations and perhaps rewards for your employees. It's really important that you think about how FBT could apply to those as well. So you'll probably start to see some of our messages about FBT move away from utes and more into things like Christmas and end of year celebrations. Yeah, it does really have that uh, seasonal element to it. Probably our own articles on FBT at Christmas time are due out around this time of year. So thank you so much. I think that's really important for people in terms of the FBT side of things, just to have that awareness. So Moving away from FBT, but perhaps almost sticking with the topic of a tight talent market, one of the things that I am really passionate about as a tax professional is inspiring the next potential generation of tax professionals to join us in the wonderful land of tax and to, I guess, reach out to, to students who are in accounting, commerce, finance or law and, and, and sort of talk to them, I guess, about what they're considering after their university studies. So, in doing so, I think I was really keen, Emma, you've had a fantastic career in tax. And so I was really keen, particularly if there's any students listening to our podcast today, 
to ask you a couple of questions, if that's okay, about your own own career. So maybe to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about your pathway in terms of university through and and your career so far in tax? Sure. Uh, look, I am. Um, I went to the wonderful University of Adelaide. I'll give them a little plug here, um, and I'm based in Adelaide. And I studied commerce and law after being pretty good at science at school. So um, you know that was potentially a bit of a weird journey to go on but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I finished uni and so I took a year off and travelled and I'd applied for a few things before I'd gone and I found out that I'd been offered a place on the graduate program at the ATO while I was away and I thought oh, that'll be good I'll have a job to go back to and then I can work out what I really want to do when I grow up. And that was 24 years ago, I think. So either I, I haven't really grown up or <laughs> I just think it's well, sometimes I think it might be that. I think mostly I've found an organisation that's offered me such a huge and interesting variety of things that I can do that I've never been bored and I've never had an opportunity to really think about wanting to do something else. I've I've been very fortunate in being able to work on some real issues. As you are, you know, I think we find that, you know, tax might feel a bit dry, but actually it touches on very real issues that matter to people's lives. We've just been talking about today utes and Christmas parties and, you know, superannuation I'm a third-generation superannuant, which for my age is pretty impressive actually, and I'm really passionate about helping people think about, you know, their their future and their retirement. So tax is not boring. Tax is really touches on everyday life. I, I don't know if any of you have seen our Tax Super New competition, which is aimed at high school students, helping them understand the reality of tax and what it means to everyday life. And it's fantastic to watch. So I think it's a great career, Hayley and Stacey, to, to do lots of different and interesting things, work with a great range of stakeholders and uh, and really make a difference. Well, we thoroughly agree with you um, and thank you so much for sharing that today. Obviously, it's a bit of a personal topic and not tax technical, but yeah, very much agree with you that you know, certainly we, we find, you know, tax changes every day. We have a daily tax alert that goes out to all of our, our clients and our subscribed email recipients. And so, yeah, it's never really a dull day on the job. Is, is is my experience no and I think uh, I think it's really interesting to think about going forward where tax is going Hayley because you know increasingly the conversations I have and the work I do are about thinking about data and digital and how you can embed thinking about tax into natural systems that businesses use and so really that sort of future direction of the profession is is not just lawyers and accountants but but how we can bring data professionals into this or help accountants and lawyers think more like data professionals so you know even today we've just talked about the work that some of my teams are doing to really bring data sets together and use analytics to identify risk so it's um it is really varied and I think it's there's lots of really exciting opportunities in the tax space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the data piece is really kind of coming to the fore. We've also been experimenting 
experimenting here a little bit with um, our uh, internal equivalent of ChatGPT, KimChat, and sort of seeing what that looks like in terms of, you know, better and easier ways that we can provide access to tax advice. So it's really exciting times in tax. And yeah, hopefully we've given a few of our listeners who are students some insights today as to not only what it's been like for us, but I guess what they could potentially look forward to in the future in terms of a career in tax. We might wrap things up there. I just wanted to say an absolute huge thank you to you, Emma, for all of the insight that you've shared today with Stacey and I and our listeners of our podcast. There's uh, a lot of insights there in terms of what the ATO is focusing on, some hot topics that we'll be dealing with, some things that may or may not be coming out before Christmas. We'll see how we go and then what we can kind of expect into the new year. So very, very grateful for your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask a question, please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash tax now or follow our LinkedIn page at KPMG Tax Now Insights for regular updates. 